Welcome to the Folsom Frenzy Podcast. My name is Jake. I'm here with Sam, Chase, Reyes, and Topher. Our first five-person podcast, but it's a big occasion. The Colorado Buffaloes are now ranked 18th in the country and beat the Nebraska Huskers 36-14. to Your buffs are 2-0, and baby. How are you guys feeling? Beat them senseless. You got to love it. You just got to feel good right now. Everything feels great. <laughs> Gotta love it. This Gotta is love such it. a good time. Before we get into the game, let's talk a little bit about the pregame and how big of a week this was for the Colorado Buffaloes football program. Just before we get into it, a ton of stars made it out to the game. You saw Terrell Owens, the Wu-Tang Clan, Stephen A. Smith, uh, Shannon Sharp, Cordell Stewart, Chauncey Billups, Michael Westbrook, Michael Irvin. I'm sure I missed a bunch of other people on that list, but it was a star-studded event. Kicked off early in the morning, big noon kickoff show. Soraya, how was the show in person? I know, at least on TV, it looked awesome. It was it was a huge crowd. It was it was a giant crowd of people. I didn't get to catch too much of it. I didn't get to hear too much of it because I got there too late. I was between tailgates and I just wanted to see what was going on, and I was blown away. It was just a massive swarming group of not only students but just people and there are also some nebraska fans there but you know what they were not as well represented as you would imagine for how much they would how much they talk about taking over other fan stadiums specifically colorado's and we it was a coming out party for for the students for us you know you got to feel so good for the freshmen those freshmen are walking into such an amazing era of fun and enjoyment in Boulder. And I'm, I'm just so excited for them. But while I was there, the, the, the cool thing is I did get to meet Philip Lindsay. So that was really cool. Got a picture with him. I think we posted that on the, on the account. So that was, that was really cool. I had a great time. That's awesome. I'm so jealous. I wasn't able to be there, but at least on TV, it looked phenomenal. There was a post of Tuscaloosa for college game day, a picture, like an overhead shot, and it was empty. And I posted a side-by-side of college game day, big noon kickoff, and CU blew Alabama out of the water, which is why they're coming here next week. But even Rob Stone, one of the commentators on Fox, uh, said it might be the biggest crowd we've ever had. And he said, quote, I have goosebumps. The crowd was phenomenal. It looks so good on TV. I cannot reiterate that enough. The students showed up and showed out, and we, yeah, it looked phenomenal. So just wanted to touch on that before we get into the game here. Um, But moving on, one of the big um, talking points going into this game is how Nebraska was talking smack at how they they would have a ton of fans there. Chase, you want to kind of talk about how much red was in Folsom? Yeah, it's interesting, right? So not only, you know, credit where credit's due. The last time Nebraska was at, at Folsom Field, I think we can all agree it was approximately, you know, 60, 40, 50, 50 Nebraska fans. Um, and so I was I was pretty nervous. I think I speak for everyone on that. And, you know, SeatGeek came out and said that they were anticipating about 45 to 40% of the tickets being purchased were going to Nebraska fans. Uh, that was just blatantly false. I think anyone who looked at the um, you know, anything that wasn't edited by Nebraska fans on Twitter, which might be the most pathetic, miserable thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, but you know, the actual photos of the stadium, it could not have been more than, I, I think I'm being generous. If I say 20, 25%, like my, my true guess would be about 15% Nebraska fans. So, you know, there, there are fan base that travels well, but when, when there's excitement in Boulder, Colorado for the Colorado Buffaloes, 
you know, people from Colorado show up and Colorado fans show up. And, you know, one other quick point I want to make before we, we talk about it a little bit more is I, I flew out of, of Denver today. Today was Sunday. Um, I flew out of Denver and, you know, it was absolutely filled with Nebraska fans. But what was even more interesting to me, I flew back to Atlanta today and there was probably, you know, 10 or 15 people just on my own flight that were wearing Colorado Buffalo like prime gear, uh, which was really cool to see as well. So people are flying in, you know, not just to see the uh, inbred Cornhuskers play, but, you know, people are flying into Boulder, Colorado to watch, Col- you know, the University of Colorado play in Folsom Field, which is really cool to see. Um, really cool to talk to some folks at the airport. Um, so, yeah, Sam, what do you think? Yeah, as, a, as, a, as another person that had to go through DIA today, it is astounding that Nebraska Cornhusker fans do not seem to understand how the TSA security line works because it hey, was Jesus. the longest <laughs> it was the longest line I have ever seen in my entire life and I I attribute that completely to the Nebraska Cornhuskers fans but yeah just like the energy I can still feel it now but the energy was building up in Boulder even the night before like I went out to the 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 parade before the the, the night before and you Stampede. could just feel yes the stampede you could feel the energy there and it just carried into the game day. And you just feel like something special in the air and like a, a, a weird feeling of like a confidence in a CU team of where in the previous games, you're like you're just hoping for a magical moment. You're like, Oh, well we're going to need a 95 yard flea flicker to win this game. But this game I was going in and I was like, Oh wow, this is going to be like CU's going to win and they're going to win by a lot. And I feel like that was fueled by everybody in the stands as CU fans. Like, the students were rowdy. All the fans were rowdy. Like everybody was so, like pumped up for this CU team, and I think a lot of it had to do with the game day, like perform, like the game game day, um, things that the CU, the Colorado had implemented, like the gold colored towels, which I think were really really cool. Going back to that old gold color, that I think really we're, we're all really nodding cool. our heads for those of you listening. Uh, we love such that. Such a smart move. It yeah, showed up yeah. so and, well on TV. Yeah, and it just made such a great atmosphere that we were, that C was able to capitalize on once they got to actually playing the football game. Yeah, and I don't know if Ted um, even listens to our podcast, but Ted for years begged the marketing department in our Folsom Frenzy days to go back to that old yellow color, not the you know Nike baby poop gold or whatever they've been using lately but like the old yellow like classic vintage cu color it was really cool to see the towels out there um getting the fans riled up but one other quick note i want to make that's that's not relevant to the well not relevant to the actual game on the field was i was really impressed by the fact that the students showed up at the beginning of the game and they stayed the entire game like that's probably the first time in my memory where cu was handily winning a game and the students stayed the entire time. I mean, when we were when we were running the student section, right? We had to beg people to stay until halftime. Like we were literally begging people and like trying to and bribe to get them. there before halftime. I mean, Dude, we were yeah. These I mean, students we were, had no idea what it was like five years ago. Yeah, we were giving things away. There was gift cards if you would stay until halftime. And I was astounded by the fact that I mean, it was packed. You literally could not move through the student section, and even the uh, the stairs were full of students. Right, there's just nowhere for students to go, and they were there from kickoff or well before kickoff until after the game. And my sister's now a sophomore there at CU. And she told me, she was like, I have to get to the stadium right now, you know, two hours before kick, because otherwise I will not get a seat. And I was like, this is so crazy. Like it's so different from when we were there. And it's so refreshing to see like students actually buying in. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about the, the, the field storming later, but um, 
you know, Jake, do you want to make a quick point and then Toko uh, yeah, kind of intro the game? Point. I love that so much. Just for context, back in, when was this? This is going to show my age. Uh, 2015, maybe? 2016? We did a card stunt at the end of the first quarter and could not get one section to do the card stunt. Or it was like three-fourths of one section. And we had to yell to get everybody into one section. And look at it now. There were how many sections an hour before kickoff? Full? Probably like four or five. Full. It was full. The whole it, thing was full. There you go. And, and they the expanded quarter, it. They expanded the student section. That's not even the same student exactly. section we were trying to fill. It is an expanded student section. And all I have to say is, all I got to say about this is, CU football is now the main event. It used to be the tailgate that was the main event, and it used to be the parties afterwards that was the main event. Now, the football game is the main event, and you're seeing that culture shift right before yep. our eyes right now. The main event in Denver. The Broncos suck. It's about the Buffs, baby. They're the main event in the United States in all of sports. Sorry, We're America's team. We are America's team. Saying those words last year. Can you imagine? Let's go. Oh my good. But you're not wrong. You're not wrong. We're the most relevant team in the country. It's insane. It makes no logical sense, but it makes perfect sense at the same time. But we'll we'll get to that, you it's- know. Just goosebumps. Like, we're all smiling ear to ear right now. And just coming from where we were, like, I think most of us, while we were at CU, the average wins during our tenure at CU were, like, four. Like, unreal. And that's what 2016. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. uh, Speaking on the game experience, um, (laughs) we, uh, my, I wear an Apple Watch. And while we were in the stadium, my Apple Watch yelled at me multiple times. It said, hey, you are in a very loud environment it was hitting 120 decibels 120 decibels right this was early in the first quarter when you know every drive mattered it was a neck and neck game you could just feel the energy um 120 decibels for an outdoor stadium is insane it's unbelievable that is like a jet engine right like i was i was sitting there thinking i think my ears are going to be ringing after this game and they were right like after the game i was like i that was totally worth it. That was one of the best crowds I've ever seen and been a part of. Um, also getting in, there were so many students that there was, there was moments of like crowd crush esque um, packed, packed in state uh, students um, filing in to get to that student section, like a little bit scary, but also what a great problem to have. Right. Um, we, we have so many people that want to be in Boulder for our game days, for our football product. And it unreal. Unreal. What a time to be a fan. Um, with that, I do have some notes. I, unfortunately, I can only work off of the highlights off of YouTube. So a lot of this is from, you know, the big plays during the game. Um, I will start with our defense. Um, defense linebackers much improved as far as um, they're flowing to the ball. Um, one area that I think we do need to improve on is cross keying. There was a couple of runs that did spring and it was, uh, the linebacker supposed to cross key. So if you're the outside linebacker and the running backs on your side, you have to watch the quarterback and the middle linebacker because the, uh, line uh, running back on the outside will watch the running back. So if they do one of those reads, you have linebackers flowing to the spot that they need to. Um, we didn't do a very good job with that. Um, and so that broke for a couple runs. Uh, I'll, uh, I sent a couple screenshots in the, in the group chats, hopefully get those posted of the way I think the run fits were supposed to go, um, for the linebackers and the way they actually did and how, um, you know, that sprung a couple of runs for them. With that being said, Nebraska's O-line is for real. Um, they can, they can flat out run block. 
uh, if <laughs> they were blowing holes and just bullying our trenches, like when they would, when they would pop a run, it would be all five guys, two or three yards down the field. Um, so, you know, the, the fact that they were able to run on us, is like y- you give them right. Um, we were much improved with, uh, with our run defense though, um, in comparison to TCU. So I'm happy with that, where that ended up. Um, one thing that I would, uh, point out is, uh, Travis Hunter is essentially like Jalen Ramsey. Um, he played straight man on number 84, the whole game. And number 84 was their leading receiver coming to this game. He did not have a single catch on Saturday, absolutely erased. Right. So there were a lot of times where we were calling zone and Hunter was still manned up on number 84. Um, so obviously something in the film told us that, uh, Sims really likes going, um, uh, likes going to number 84 and, uh, you know, having someone like Hunter just erase him was awesome. The only time Hunter was not in man is when uh, they came out in a double tight end set. Um, and that's usually a run, uh, a run down, running down anyways. Um, the other thing that I uh, noticed is Shiloh is not a very good coverage safety. Um, he, he got targeted a lot and gave up a lot of room in his, uh, in his man coverage. And I just, I, I, I wouldn't trust Shiloh to be the one to cover, um, their more elite receivers. Um, he's, uh, he's one that's a good tackler, but, uh, look for him to get targeted if we're in man defense. Um, so that's my notes on the defense on the offense. Um, the biggest thing that I notice is we, um, we were very good at making adjustments. So Nebraska came out and they really tested our O-line. Um, they wanted to look like they were sending five or six and usually they did send five, uh, coming at Shiloh a lot. Um, and they would always drop one or two from that line. It's a concept that the Patriots with Matt Patricia have run a lot in the past and had a lot of success with. It makes it very hard to identify where the coverage is coming from, where the pressure is coming from. Um, and clearly we'd had a tough time with that. We gave up 11 sacks. Um, and that was purely just, um, Shador not calling the uh, right protection where there was a slide left slide, right. Um, or identifying which one was the actually um, blitzing. Now, um, the adjustment that we made is we started keeping um, the running back in, uh, and Dylan Edwards did a, a great job picking up the blitz multiple times um, on our touchdown. That first touchdown in the, at the end of the first half, he picked up a huge Mike linebacker coming through the hole, bottom uh, botched door enough time to hit the uh, um, hit the receiver there. Um, overall, uh, I think that. Um, Shador Shador's footwork is flawless, right? Like there were times when we were whipping around and he would just whip his feet around and get the ball out. Um, Stuff like that is uh, what will make a good quarterback great and make him NFL ready. Um, uh, I also think that uh, Nebraska's defense is they're legit. They were well coached. Um, They were always in, um, they started off in a cover six and always running the cover two side to the running back that just allows a hard flat defender, which means Dylan Edwards is not open on screens. Um, and you know, you noticed it a couple of times where we would try to go to Dylan Edwards in the flat and they just had a guy waiting there. Um, so, you know, the struggles early on, that's, that's great coaching, but, um, our success uh, later, that's adjustment. Um, and that gives me a lot of faith that moving forward, we're going to be really really tough to stop because we've proven that we've got coaches that can make adjustments yeah i just wanted to add you know four tackles for loss two sacks in this game like tofer said the nebraska offensive line very good and you know very elusive quarterback as well so last week we had been kind of critical about how you know maybe we're not applying enough pressure and i thought we did a great job of making some adjustments getting home to the quarterback and not giving him a lot of time 
Um, my other notes from the game, I thought Shiloh Holt held the ball too long in a lot of situations. Um, you know, I, I think part or of that Shadour. might just be uh, or Shadour. Shadour. Sorry, not not Shiloh. Yeah, Shadour. Um, <laughs> sorry, Shadour um, was holding the ball, I thought, too long in, in a lot of situations where, um, you know, he's looking and looking and looking and he's so talented that he gets away a lot of times and, and he looks great and it's going to have a lot of great highlights for him. But I think he needs to get the ball out of his hands um, a little bit quicker. Um, hopefully I don't get killed for that on Twitter. Um, and then just my last comment, my, my big takeaway was I thought we made great halftime adjustments. Um, you know, it was a pretty close game in the first half, right? We ended up with the 13-0 lead um, partially because of some really inopportune turnovers by Nebraska um, for, for their from their perspective. Um, and, you know, some, some good decisions as far as taking the points, kicking the field goal by Coach Prime. But, um, you know, it was a pretty tight game. And then all of a sudden it, it felt like we just kind of let, let it loose um, at halftime. And I think that's the adjustments that we're making in the locker room. Um, I think we did that last week as well. So that's really encouraging to see. A lot of people made the comment about, you know, how, you know, Coach Prime's not an X's and O's guys. And and I, one, I think he is. But two, he's got the right coaches around him. So um, I thought that was another great example of this is exactly how this team was built to built to run. Um, you know, Travis didn't put up another Heisman campaign performance, but like Topher said, he was triple covered in, at wide receiver, right? So it's really tough to get gaudy receiving numbers when you are swallowing the entire defense. It's just not going to show up on the stat sheet to the same extent. So, um, you know, Srace is giving a dirty look for that. So I'll let him respond to that. I'm not taking anything away from Travis Hunter for the record. I'm just saying, you know, he didn't have the stats he had week one. And part of that's because they're just absolutely covering him. That's like saying Shohei Otani only pitched a good game, but he didn't hit any home runs, right? So when you're affecting both sides of the game as much as he does, it's still a Heisman performance to me. But we won't beat that horse to death because it's clear, yeah, the numbers weren't there from the first game. So uh, I guess we'll we'll have to see what he does against Colorado State, and we'll, we'll talk about that soon. So I also wanted to look at the flip side of what you mentioned about uh, Shadur holding on to the ball too long. I, I do think that you're onto something there, but the flip side of it is he showed a lot of great escapability, and I felt like he demonstrated a lot more downfield, consistent downfield passing against Nebraska than even he did against TCU. And he had some really great throws downfield, super super deep balls against TCU. But a lot of those plays where he just extended the play and scrambled, and he was under pressure or hurried or sat or hit or something on almost every drop back. And what that reminded me of is the first time I, I ever saw Shadur play in person, which was the Celebration Bowl last year. And I, I think I brought this up on previous podcasts before about Shadur in that game, but his offensive line was getting shredded in, in that game by NC Central. And he demonstrated that same escapability and downfield passing, and he still had a huge game. I believe he had four touchdowns in that game and nearly led Jackson to a a huge comeback win in overtime. And he's showing that what he said about the FBS and FCS difference is, is probably true. Your defensive linemen are getting off the blocks way faster. And that's, that proved itself out against Nebraska. I do think that's a really good defense. I do think Nebraska fans are going to be a little bit less disappointed by the end of the season with how that team does, with how poor the big, big 10 West is, especially. So I think that was a really good defense, but, he demonstrated the exact same skill set that we saw in that uh, celebration bowl last year. So we have every reason to think that this is going to continue. And very final point here is Alton McCaskill. Can't wait to see what that bigger back who's demonstrated that uh, in a team that's now power five. They weren't power five when Alton was there in Houston. 
but I'm very, very excited to see whether he can bring a new dimension to the running game and whether that's kind of the difference maker we need because we have struggled a little bit in the running game in the, in the first two, and it would be nice to see that break out. So we'll see if Alton makes the difference. And I just have to add a, a very quick apology before Jake goes. Uh, Travis Hunter, I, I, I said that he didn't have Heisman numbers, um, and that's probably because he had three receptions, but uh, I just looked it up. He did have 73 yards receiving. So that's pretty insane <laughs> that on three receptions, he had 73 yards and it seemed like it was a down game for him. So, I mean, that's the kind of guy that the Travis is, but anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jake. Yeah, really quick, Strace, you were kind of talking about the running game. I know you guys were all at the game, but Twitter was kind of going nuts, pleading that the buffs should run the ball more just because they were so pass heavy. Wanted to kind of get your guys' thoughts on the running game, what do you guys think the problem is there? I, I have the stats pulled up. Dylan Edwards averaged six yards per carry. Anthony Hakerson, 4.3. Charlie Often Ball, 5.5. Um, so they're getting good average yards per carry. Um, so I don't I don't really know what the problem is if they if they should run the ball more. I mean, you have a Heisman candidate as your quarterback. Wanted to kind of open it up to give your guys' thoughts just to also generally talk about the O-line too, because I mean, we alluded to, it sounds like a lot of you guys think Shador is holding the ball too much. Um, but at the end of the day, there were eight sacks in the game. So just want to get your guys' thoughts on the O-line and the run game in general. Yeah. So, so I think I'll, I'll reiterate the point that I made, which is I do, I'm very interested in, in seeing what the, what the, dimension or how the dimension changes when we bring in Alton but from from my perspective from where I was at and I did I did rewatch the game but not every snap so it was really just the highlight package the 10 minute highlight package I am very interested to see how how that goes but I didn't I didn't perceive that we were getting great run blocking it didn't it didn't feel that way from from where we were from where I was sitting anyways it didn't feel like we were getting run great run blocking so if the folks on the TV, we're, we're seeing consistent holes being poked and a dominant lineman, then that's maybe I was at a bad angle, but I, I didn't perceive that we got great run blocking. And maybe that's because of Nebraska's defense. So I, I have personally no problem with the game plan. And I'm very excited to see whether we can change that, change that dimension with uh, McCaskill. Yeah, going off of that, and and kind of when you were going through the stats of like saying, like, oh, Dylan Edwards had six yards per carry. I think you need to dig into those numbers a little bit because he had one yard, one kind of broken containment run that accounted for all but like probably fifteen yards of his total yardage, and the rest of it he was averaging one point five yards per carry. And I think Sarais, we had a pretty unique angle from where we were all sitting in the end zone, where you could see when Nebraska was running, there were lanes to run. They, a lot of the times they might be filled with a CU linebacker making a good play. But from in my opinion, like there weren't holes being opened up for the CU running backs. And I think the last two weeks, the Sean Lewis has done a great job of utilizing the short passing game as kind of like a stopgap and like a filling in for the running game that's been an, anemic. They've averaged 1.7 yards per carry on the ground, and they've scored over 36 points in both games. And until teams take away the short run game, I mean, the short passing game, you don't necessarily need to have a dominant run game because Shador is so accurate. If you can get four or five yards on a first down pass, why would you try to run when you've been stuffed the entire game? Like, until they stop that, there, there's no need to establish a run because you can just establish a short pass and it's just as easy. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think the other component is that Colorado is more talented. Like every Colorado receiver right now is more talented than the defensive back they're up against. And so I think Colorado can really exploit the advantage in that area where they maybe, you know, our, our O-line is not huge, right? They're they're designed for a, a run and gun offense. And, and you know, that's just part of Sean Lewis's offense, right? Even, even at, um, you know, Kent State, wherever he was from in the MAC. Um, you know, that's just how his offense ran. So, um, you know, to Sam's point, the long for Dylan Edwards was 34 yards. So if you take his 55 yards rushing and take that 34 out, right, his averages were actually really not that good. Um, he's just breaking free for these crazy plays with yards after after contact. So um, I, I, I think, you know, maybe you need to establish the run, but if you're killing them in the passing game and you've got their defense tired, I really think that's what it was, right? Like Nebraska looked gassed at the end, end of that game. I mean, they were dying on defense. Um, and and part of that's by virtue of the fact that you're you're doing the run and gun, um, you know, offense. So I, I, for one, don't think we really need to be establishing the run. I think one of my biggest frustrations with Carl Durrell was the fact that he just insisted on establishing the run well into the third quarter when it was clear that was never going to happen. So, um, you know, I understand where people are coming from. It'll be interesting to see um, – you know, with, with people coming back from injury, how, how that's going to look. Um, but, you know, you cannot say that we're not a running back by committee kind of team because we got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different running backs, not including quarterbacks with with rushing stats, um, you know, some more than others, obviously. But, you know, it's cool to see we're spreading the ball around. Um, clearly, we're trying to find something that works. Dylan Edwards is so talented that if he if he breaks one, like he can kill you. Um, but, yeah, Sam, did you want to make a point? Yeah, you brought up the running gun offense. One thing that I hadn't noticed watching the TCT game on TV that I noticed in person was that every time C would break a big play, there was one guy who would run up to whoever caught the ball, take the ball from them, sprint it to the ref, and they'd get it settled down. And that guy was Travis Hunter, right? The guy was playing every single snap on offense, every single snap on defense, some snaps on special teams, is busting his ass to go get the ball from his teammate and getting it settled so his offense can be more effective. And I think it's that kind of like selfless leadership that you see from your star players that we saw this year with the Nuggets, with Nikola Jokic. Like if your star player is doing all this extra stuff and playing like team, having like a team first mentality, if everybody else. We uh, had a little technical difficulty here. Uh, the Zoom cut out. So enjoy my voice. And here's the next segment. Uh, Sam, kick yeah. us off I mean, uh, whenever, me... whenever you're ready. Yeah. I mean, we saw it earlier this year with Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets, like having a selfless star player that's willing to put the team before them and do like the dirty work that you don't really see unless you're there and you're paying attention. Um, That really helps like the younger players that are going to come in and hold themselves to the standard of a Travis Hunter. And the only thing that can come out of that is that they get better every single day and they get better fast. And I think it comes from a topic, it comes from Rick George, it comes from Coach Prime, and just like the leadership and the kind of like men that they're building in the program will just like increase their on-field results like exponentially. And it's so amazing to see like Coach Prime's culture, like have like a tangible thing that you can see on the field. Yeah, and I I, I will say, um, you know, I, I made the comment about Carl Durrell being completely worthless and my biggest frustration being him trying to establish the run, but I think everyone should take one moment to think about the fact that to to my memory, we have not seen a whole lot of like pick option bubble screen passes, which seem to have been 90% of our offense. So I just wanted to remind everyone that that's something that could be happening um, and that you haven't been seeing every weekend. So uh, be thankful for what you have um, and remember, you know, how much better our life is right now. 
Yeah, it's, that's Nevada and Arkansas State's problem now with uh, Brendan Lewis and JT Shroud over there. It sounds oh, like that's boy. exactly what's happening over there if you look at the game stats. So, Do not look at those stat lines. Woo, they are ugly. <laughs> but, hey, we those got two quarterbacks lines. starting at other uh, other uh, FBS schools. Hooray. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so with that, we'll move on to our um, – Player of the game segment sponsored by Q Wealth Management. Go to qwealthmanagement.com to learn more. Um, today we've got an offensive and defensive player and a special teams player at um, you know a certain special request. Our offensive player of the week this week is going to go. Um, you know, it, it, it could have gone really to a, a bunch of different players, but we went to Xavier Weaver this week. Uh, Ten receptions, 170 yards, one touchdown with a long of 41. He seemed to be everywhere. I think part of that was the fact that they were, you know quintuple covering Travis Hunter, but he comes down with the big balls. He comes down with the, you know, he comes down with the, the up in the air, like anyone can come down with the ball. I mean, he's, he's everywhere and he's been, you know, everything that we, we had hoped for and, and so much more. So um, he's going to be our offensive player of the week on uh, defensive player of the week. We thought long and hard about this, but really there could only be one player. And that is uh Nebraska quarterback, uh, Jeff Sims. You know, he just he did it all for Colorado, throwing an interception. Uh, I think he probably should be credited for like two fumbles. Um, absolutely just atrocious effort. Three fumbles. Okay, my apologies. Um, just absolutely atrocious. Um, so we just wanted to give a quick shout out to Jeff Sims as our defensive. He flat out dropped two balls, like two on snaps and, and a missed handoff, right? And my, a missed handoff. Maybe my my favorite Nebraska player of all time. I would say. Um, just gonna throw that out there. Um, I uh, thought he was awesome. <laughs> I never thought I'd have a quarterback for Nebraska that I liked more than Adrian Martinez. And here I am. Jeff Sims, Jeff Sims is that guy. <laughs> we love you, Jeff Sims. You should have stayed at Georgia Tech and gone to school. It's a really good school. Where'd you go to Nebraska, man? Uh, and then other honorable mentions. Uh, we could have gone with Jordan Dominic, two and a half tackles for loss um, and a fumble recovery, if I remember correctly. Um, Cameron uh, Silman Craig with an interception that was huge. Um, so a lot of great defensive players. I thought our defense looked really good. Honestly, the defensive player of the game could have been the entire defensive group. They looked much improved. Um, and then, you know, I'll go ahead and let Topher do the special team player of the week. If you want to go ahead, Topher. Uh, big shout out to number 17, Jace Feely. He's for sure the special teams player of the week. Cause now guess what? We can actually kick the ball off eight yards deep into the end zone. Um, I don't understand why he wasn't doing kickoffs right away. I thought it might've been uh, a specialization thing, um, with kicking. When you do place kicking, you kick off the ground. When you do kickoffs from a tee, it's about two inches up and it doesn't seem like a lot, but it changes the way, um, changes the way you uh, hit the ball. Um, Sam is saying that Vassett had a great punting performance. He did. I, I won't, uh, I won't disagree, but, uh, being able to get kickoffs into the back of the end zone, it just, you know. You can breathe a sigh of relief after we score a touchdown that we're not going to give up a, pl- a big play right after. And it, it, no brainer. Jace Feely, that's it. So after that um, great win versus Nebraska, the students rushed the field. And we were talking about this in our group chat a little after. And our podcast is split on if we are pro or against the field rush, specifically versus Nebraska. Not pro or against field rushing in general. I think we're all pro field rushing here. But wanted to open up to this group. What are you guys' thoughts really quick on um, on the field rush versus Nebraska? Are you guys against it for it? Sreyas, you want to kick us off? Yeah, I'm, I'm pro that specific field rush. And frankly, I can be pro almost any field rush at this point. 
that's your take? That's awful. No, like, Chase, right, just well, wait for it. Oh, I'll, so, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my rationale there. I'll give you my rationale. I thought we were yeah. going around. I thought yeah, we were no, going around. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Okay, okay. Get our sides first. Build all right, all right. Well, then I'll hop in really quickly. I am, for the record, and I, I said this on Twitter as well, I am pro field rush, but I am pro field rush in games that are like big deal wins or or last second field goal walk-off wins. Not when you absolutely curb stomp a team that has not beaten you in the last, you know, two attempts, now three, hasn't beaten us in 4,000 something days. I mean, they're just, they're not a legitimate team. They don't deserve a field rush. That's the only, you know, win that they got to take away was they got to go, oh my God, you were ranked and you stormed the field against us. I'm happy for the kids. I'm really glad they had a good time. That's not the game to do the field rush. If we beat USC at home, that's the game to do the field rush. I just, overall, I'm I'm pro-storming the field, anti-storming the field against Nebraska in that game. Really quick, uh, I want to take a quick poll before we debate this. Um, so who's for it? I believe, say say I if you're for it, and I'll, I'll share with yeah, the listeners. Sam and, Sam and I are. Yeah, Sam and yeah. Sirius and Jake I, and Chase I'm, are against. I'm, Topher, where do you land yeah. really quick, just for the listener? Uh, I am voting against. I feel like a Supreme Court judge. All right, all right. <laughs> the, the, the swing vote here, and I am against the field rush here. All right, Sam. Sorry, you can you can give us your thoughts. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I think I said this earlier uh, to you guys earlier. Like I, I'm I'm pro every storm, but Katrina, baby. Like we are. <laughs> like, like if there's a field out there and you win a game, go and storm it. I think I'm in a u- unique position. You guys were all at CU when we were successful for 2016 correct yeah right you guys all had some level of success albeit one year that you're like oh well we don't have to storm here because we we were good now if you were a student from post from 2017 to now you have lived in like the worst era of c football where it's miserable miserable year after year whereas oh five and that's, seven oh but, five and but seven. there's that's been multiple and then, field rushes in that's that that yeah we we Haven't rushed the field but, for cow yeah Cal, and, and I feel I'm like there's saying, been more than I'm Cal saying rush too. them. Uh, Oregon like State double fun. overtime. Okay, yep. yeah, Trace, what's, yeah. Trace, what's our record in the last twenty years? It like, oh, yeah. keep, keep, so, since the last time we won a bowl game, since the last time we won a bowl game, and we'll say before the season, we're seventy six and one forty. Right, seventy six yeah, wins and one hundred forty losses since our last bowl win. Yeah, so like people who stay like uh, like I push back against the Conners like act like you've been there before. These students that are rushing the field haven't been there before. They have not been alive for a CU team that wins and want like they're they're obviously not going to storm the field every game. Like, they're not going to storm against Colorado State. They're probably not going to storm again until face. USC. <laughs> but they, I think it's also are are they not Sam? They're not going to rush <laughs> against Colorado State because they. I would. I would. Uh, I, would, support, <laughs> I, would I would. I think the line for storming think rush in the CSU is going to be minus one ten. They're going to storm the game. They're going to We beat Colorado State. They're just storming the field. Your record doesn't matter with a field rush. If you've been bad for twenty million years, you shouldn't rush the field. Okay, I kind of get Cal. I get Cal last year. I'm not going to debate Cal, but the beauty of field rushing, and this is my take. So I think it should be a once, once in a college experience. Hey, do you remember that time when we beat USC number six in the nation and we stormed the field? That was sweet. We've it never beaten be, USC. <laughs> I know we have. This is an example. This is an example. Are you going to check their buff? It should be a once in a college experience time. I think you should only rush the the field if you 
beat a top 15 team. There's my hot take. But so like see, looking back at my first field rush, rush field. it was the – I guess this was basketball, but the KU game when it was the buzzer beater, it was the perfect time, and it made it such a cool experience. If you're going to rush the field every single time, it's not memorable. That's you're never going to go, hey, remember when we rush. stormed the field versus Nebraska <laughs> when they were unranked and they're not a bowl team? It's not as memorable. I hear you. I really hear you. You got You guys got to let me cook now uh, a little bit. So <laughs> Let them cook. I, let them cook. So, so my opinion goes back to 2009, right? So that season started off so bad. We lost at home to Colorado State, and their students stormed our field, right? Their students stormed our <laughs> field. And then we got blown out at Toledo. And then the, the, we ended up, I think, winning three games that season. But one of those three wins. So when you record on hotel Wi-Fi, you tend to cut out. Shreyas cut out here. And uh, the other four podcast hosts, we weren't really sure what he was talking about. We'd kind of just let the senile old man talk and uh, get his bin in. So here you go. Uh, actually, very good. They, I think they were a seven or eight win team. But they came into Folsom and CU absolutely stole one from them, right? It was a last-minute touchdown. Can't remember uh, uh, which tight end it was. I think it was Patrick Devaney. He had a touchdown right at the end of the game. And we stormed the field. It was awesome. It felt so good after how miserable that experience had been. And on our way out of the stadium. So this was still the, – the successes, the relative successes of the early 2000s were still fresh. So we got a ton of flack. Like we were walking through the the parking lot back to our tailgate and there were people like, oh, you're a student? Yeah, yeah, we're students. Like, oh, were you on the field just now? Yeah, we, we just, we got excited. We were on the field. Like you guys are terrible. You guys are the worst fans. Like I can't believe you have no pride. You have no pride for this institution and how great things have been. So I was like, all right, whatever. I understand what you're saying, but we're having fun. We're having fun. And you know what? Things got worse. That was that was like the high point, you know, other than, so 2010, it, it feels like 2010 should have been, you know, better because we ended up five and seven, but that season was worse because I had that Kansas loss where we were up, what was it? 45 to 17 in the fourth quarter and blew it to Kansas, Turner Gill's Kansas team. So it only got worse from there. And from then on, I basically said, never apologize for joy, right? Go have fun, man. Go have fun. Like, I get there was a time where you'd have, you know, or you get fined for doing this, this, that, and the other thing for going on the field. And I remember 2016, we got fined because we were on the field for Washington State and Utah and UCLA. Well, I don't know if we stormed for UCLA, actually, but we were on the field a bunch of times that year. So my whole thing here is be unapologetic about your joy. Go have fun. You never know when all of this is going to go away and you're going to, you know, end up back with a John Embry era or Carl Durrell era, like terribleness. Go have fun. Just have fun. And for the Nebraska game in particular, and I can I can understand why people would be extra spicy and frustrated if we stormed against CSU. I could totally understand CSU. And we'll talk about the preview later is they look or they look really bad like that that is not a quality team like maybe they'll be okay in the mountain west but that is not a quality team so i could that understand storming the field even better but so here's no. The <laughs> so, so like i can understand sam you, and you can too like why people would be like okay that's kind of dumb but this nebraska game think about the last time these students were even at a game was probably the asu game last year right because no one was at that Utah game. It was empty. It was also over uh, Thanksgiving break. There was no students there. There was no one there. It was 42 nothing at halftime. 
What, like, what do you expect? You show up to an absolute bloodbath, and the highlight of that game was when Frank Phillip checked in as an eligible receiver and caught a touchdown at the end of the game to make it 62-21, to 21, right? That was the high watermark of that whole game. And at that point, there were some rumors about Coach Prime coming to see you at that point. So it's like, okay, maybe there's some hope there. But these kids, they had seen absolutely nothing. They saw absolutely nothing. And then not there. I don't think it was a lot of students at the TCU game. I saw mostly alum when I was out there. So that was that was a moment for us alum to, to go out to Fort Worth and go enjoy that. The students were still trying to get settled in in school and do their whole thing like over Labor Day. So this was their first in-game experience where they actually had the opportunity to see a, not not just a not just a, a good team which they ended up seeing but a competent team that could actually show up and be competitive. So let them cook. I'm good with them. I'm good with them doing the the field storm against Nebraska. People can complain like, oh, we're better than that. Like you know what? Historically, we haven't been better than that against Nebraska. So I'll give it to them. Good job, kids. Like have fun. Go do your thing. You never know when th- stuff's gonna go bad. So enjoy your enjoy your life. Don't don't apologize for joy. So just to clarify on what Strayus just said, Strayus said all of a sudden he started storming the field all of the time, and then John Embry happened. So what Strayus is essentially <laughs> advocating for is for more John Embry like years. I mean that's what we're talking about, right? Is you you don't act like you've ever been there before, and all of a sudden John Embry is the bar, right? It's 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 and and Sam, I'll let you go, and you can continue talking about these. These, but when they when the kids start getting on the field for Colorado State, I'm turning the TV off because I don't care how much fun they're having, and I don't care. I, I'm I'll be celebrating the fact that I get to keep my foot, but I do not care. <laughs> like you cannot, j- unless unless if we're gonna storm for Colorado State, then we better storm for every game. If we lose a game to USC, we should storm the field anyway because if that's gonna be our whole bit, <laughs> we should either go all in on it. Clemson lets their like their fans on the field after every game, right? So yeah, I mean they, storm. Yeah. I mean, we that. should just storm every game. It should be just a if if that's going to be our bit. If we're going to go storm the field, our bit. Poor Coach Prime, yeah. but he needs to get off the field before <laughs> that happens. Anyway, Sam, I, I didn't mean to, but I, I just you know all I'm saying is Estrellas has actively rooted for more John Embry years, and that's what he's telling the kids to root for. Hey, there is actually yeah. just as many Dan Hawkins years after that. Uh, Texas A&M game is as uh, as John Embry years, so it was a pretty pretty bad time to be a CU fan. So I'll also push back on whoever said that since 2017 was the worst time. Yeah, Man. yeah. <laughs> Sam's comment completely forgetting John Embry and Dan Hawkins existed. Dude, 2009 to 2015 was oh, it was bad. It so- was bad. sorry, I'm not old. Yeah, when most of the we people in this podcast, by the way, were in middle fan. school. <laughs> We didn't lose to an FCS team even last year. We lost to Sacramento State in a walk-off field goal. You've never – dude, 55 we sca- at halftime at Fresno? Get yeah. it out of here. Wasn't it we – no, sca- didn't we, we lose to Idaho State too? Yes. It was Montana State. That was 2006. That was awful. Okay. Right? That was Dan yeah. Hawkins' game. That was Dan Hawkins' All right, first la- game. La- la- my last thing on the field rush, I think I, I, they're not going to storm against field, storm against Colorado State. I, I will bet you like twenty dollars they don't storm against Colorado State, uh, Chase. Um, but I think, obviously, I, I'm, I'm joking around a little bit with the field storming stuff, but I, I think they should have stormed the field this this week because it was like a culmination of all that happened in the off season. I think it wasn't even about this game at all. It was about the culture shift of Coach Prime. And the complete energy shift from Carl Durrell, like the most boring man in the universe, to Coach Prime and being on ESPN every single day. And just 
that complete shift, I think, just energized people to go run on the field. I don't think it's just because they won. I think it's because of all the stuff that changed in the program over the summer and created the team that they are today. So I loved it for this game. If they do it against Colorado State, I think it would be funny. But I, I don't think I don't think they will. I don't think they're committed to the bit. Uh, I certainly hope not. Um, here's the thing. I I think I'm kind of with Jake, and I think that storm rushing should be a moment of excitement and a moment of uh, you know celebration. And the way we beat Nebraska was complete dominance. They they as soon as the second half started there was no ifs, ands, or buts about who the better team on the field was. And so for us to rush after we just embarrassed them like that, I, I just feel like we should save it for a moment that we steal something. Like if I'll put it this way, if we go into double overtime with CSU and we win on a field goal, sure, we rush because that's a close game. But it shouldn't be. It's a close game. And that excitement, if that leads to a rush, I'm okay with that. But it's not going to. And the the only close game that I see that I think is worthy of a field rush in the rest of our home state home schedule is USC. And if we beat them, yeah, I will rush the field with the students. All right. So with that, we, we wanted to debate that a little bit because we sent out a poll to our Twitter followers and it was 60% people are for the field rush. 40% people are against it. Just taking a step back, look where we're at, guys. We're two and zero, top twenty team in the nation, and we're just debating a field rush. Like what a great, <laughs> what, a, what a great problem, Jake. One of the funniest things that happened is that we tweeted conflicting things from the account, and I remember that moment <laughs> when we realized it because, like, I didn't know, I didn't know you guys posted that. And I don't think you guys knew that I posted the other thing. <laughs> that we was had a beautiful to... moment because there are people calling us out for it too, rightfully, right? And we're like, what? This is conflicting, you know? But you know what? We're individuals, right? That's what makes this podcast great. We don't have to agree on anything, but we all we all love the buffs at the end of the day, right? And so I, I love this. It's a great, great problem to have. Right, here's to having more problems like this and less like uh, whatever happened to Air Force last year in Minnesota. So, and, and just to note to our Twitter followers, uh, we don't care if we're conflicting. We're doing this for our fun, so uh, we'll, we'll uh, conflict ourselves all we want. And fo- <laughs> follow us on Twitter at Folsom Frenzy Pod. <laughs> all right, moving on. Um, that that was a fun debate. Uh, just a couple of news points also at the end of the game, just to bring up briefly. Uh, at the end of the game, there was a great video that was posted from the CU football account of Peggy Topham uh, in the locker room with all the players. And Coach Prime had gave her a game ball. And she she told the team, give me my theme music. And they all erupted. And it was just this magical moment in the locker room. If you haven't seen that video, go check it out. We posted it on our Twitter and our Instagram. Um, but just a super magical moment. Coach Prime gave game balls both to Peggy and uh, Rick George, the athletic director, which is really great to see. They just have a really close relationship. So that was a fun little moment. Um, for those new CU fans, I forgot to mention Peggy is 98 years old. And she has been to every single CU game for I don't know how many years. Um, she yeah, would be a, like seventy years, maybe more. Yeah, and she would like go with her. Yeah, she would go to every game with her twin sister, and they would have gold pom poms and be decked out in their all gold CU gear, and they would stay for the entire game. So it's great to see that Coach Prime has built a, a strong relationship with Peggy. Um, 
so yeah that, that's really fun to see and then at the end of the well-off media video uh after coach prime had his theme song and they all went nuts rick george reminded the team hey let's sing the fight song because there's so many new players in that locker room they don't know that's what you're supposed to do after you win it's you and like i think probably only 20 percent of the players know this fight song at this point which i really hope more players learn it if i'm shador sanders I'm learning that fight song before the CSU game because it's going to be sung at the end of that game, and it would be such a great leadership moment for him. He could lead the team in the fight song. Sreyas, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, gosh, watching watching the well-off video where... Sorry, uh, his Wi-Fi cut out again, so you get my lovely voice. Here's Shreyas back again. You did this on purpose, but he really singled out Caleb Athis. Poor kid just totally singled him out when they were trying to sing the fight song and this poor kid just sitting there like I literally don't know a single one of these words just sat there with his mouth shut this whole time like oh my goodness oh that was painful and then he cut over to Shadur Shadur is getting there he doesn't quite know the cadence he doesn't quite know the the lyrics yet but he's getting there I I'm huge on the fight song I think that that is one of the few pieces of long-standing tradition it's one of the few pieces of long, long-standing tradition that I identify with to a great extent. I remember at our freshman orientation, everyone being forced to learn that, and it was it was great because our first uh, our first home game, or maybe it was our second home game when we were freshmen, was one of those big field storming wins against West Virginia, and everyone was there inside the stadium two hours early, just like this, but they were singing the fight song on repeat, right? Someone was starting the fight song and someone was doing it the whole time. That was like a big galvanizing moment for us. So I don't think it's going to take that much effort. I would rather have the team learn their schemes and, you know, the, the more important things like the X's and O's on the field itself than the song. But I would love for that to, to be emphasized a little bit. That's kind of maybe some extracurricular activity. Yeah, uh, I think I think it's interesting noting like all of the new players coming in, not knowing the fight song. We don't know if the players last year knew the fight song because they only sing it once. You know, like I, like I think the more they win, the more they're gonna practice the fight song, the more they're gonna get it, and I I think they'll be good. They'll they'll get it, but just the fact that they get to sing it more than once in a season is something I think we should take for granted. I mean, uh, really like appreciate. <laughs> Yeah, did you guys know? This is a quick Folsom Frenzy fact. Our our theme song that we play at the start of every podcast episode, that snippet of the fight song from that theme music is actually from the CU Washington State game in 2012, which was their only win that season. So that's a little fun Folsom Frenzy podcast trivia. That's dope. Uh, just one other thing I wanted to, to mention is uh, something I'd like to see. This is another idea. Uh, I, I hope Ted listens to our podcast. He probably doesn't. But uh, the freshman year shirt this year actually has the fight song on the back, which is something that we had pushed for while we were, um, you know, running the Folsom Frenzy slash C unit um, groups and marketing just wouldn't do like they're just totally uninterested in putting the fight song on the back of the shirts. And we were like, what a great way for people to learn than staring at the person in front of them during every TV timeout, seeing the, the words of the fight song. So really cool that they did that for the freshman year shirts this year. Um, I was a huge fan of that. So shout out to whoever made that decision in the athletic department. Um, seems like we're actually making good decisions there. So uh, just wanted to throw that out there. And then um, one other thing we're going to mention, just a, another news tidbit, Jeremy Bloom, one of the greatest Colorado athletes of all time, probably. I mean, definitely one of the, the better football players and, and certainly one of the best skiers to ever play football for Colorado um, tweeted out today. 
but you know, it, it's interesting, right? How, how do we, how do we pick prime um, as you guys likely have seen by now? And, and this will kind of, you know, we might mention this again later, but uh, Mel Tucker was just relieved of duty um, from Michigan state earlier today. And all of a sudden people are saying, you know, they should go after coach prime and, and there's going to be no question, right? This off season, every off season for the foreseeable future, people are going to be saying that they should go after coach prime, um, you know, too many eyeballs, too much success. And so Jeremy blue made the point of, you know, we got to pay this guy. We got to make sure he's here for the long run. We got to make sure he has what he needs and offered to start a fan group essentially um, where he would donate a hundred thousand dollars into the group to raise money for it. Um, I know Matt McChesney uh, mentioned that he was all for it. A lot of fans seem to be supportive. Um, you know, it's an interesting question, right? Because for, for Colorado, Coach Prime's on a huge contract, right? Almost one and a half million dollars more than, actually more than one and a half million dollars over what we were paying Carl Durrell. His assistance pool is way larger than what was given to Carl Durrell. Uh, and so, you know, we're it's going to be tough to compete, right? Our TV deal with the Big 12 is going to be substantially smaller than that of the Big 10 and substantially smaller than that of the SEC. You're going to have schools like Texas A&M where maybe that, that job might be opening soon where money is just not an object. So, you know, part of it is how do we get a deal for Prime where we can get him to stay around? And two, what is that going to look like and how much fan support is that going to take? You know, I think this is going to be, you know, maybe a bigger topic and something that we'll definitely mention over the offseason. But it's kind of cool to see, you know, kind of a grassroots effort of, you know, we we can be, you know, kind of the the light that changes this. Um, and, and shout out to Jeremy Bloom. Uh, we know he's a huge fan of our podcast, uh, listens to it very, very frequently um, for for mentioning that and bringing that up, because it, it's a good point. Right. I, it, we, I, I think I said this week one or maybe even before week one. We, the time to extend prime is now. And the question is, is prime going to be willing to sign a contract to extend where, you know, maybe his, his breakup fees going to be higher. So Trace, any thoughts on that? Yeah, for me, I think with coach prime, coach prime is going to go wherever coach prime is taken. And he said that he I came agree. to Colorado because God told him he was going to, he was going to come here and make a difference. And that is the only factor for him. Coach prime doesn't need the money. He's trying to take care of his assistant coaches, but more importantly, he's following his heart. He's following whatever whatever the forces of nature are telling him is the right thing to do. So, I'm really glad that this and that is, this initiative is taking place, and I hope that Coach Prime sees it as a gesture that we really love him and he's making a huge difference to our community. But at the end of the day, I think Coach Prime is going to do what he needs to do for himself, and I think we all have to respect that. At the end of the day, I agree. But at the end of the day, money does help. I mean, he's saying a song must be the money, <laughs> you know, and I know like coach prime has a ton of money at this point. And I think my biggest concern with C retaining him is he, he loves the South. He doesn't like cold weather. So you can't do anything about that. I think money will help. So I just wanted to add that quick point. Build a dome. We'll still have Folsom. We'll only play in the dome when it snows. The, oh, the indoor practice facility can be a second stadium, I guess. Yeah, so moving on really quick, I uh, just want to talk about uh, week two in general. The Pac-12 had a huge week in week two. There are, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but eight, is it eight? Eight ranked Pac-12 teams? That's phenomenal. The Pac-12 is going to die as the best conference in football. So just want to get your guys' thoughts. Reyes, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. I, it was it was incredible. I, I think I, I saw it coming once I saw that uh, Washington State beat Wisconsin. What a huge win for that program, too. They're going through right now, trying to figure out what their future is going to be. 
thank goodness, you know, shout out to Rick George for taking our future into his, you know, into our own hands and making it on our, on our terms. So we're not Washington state. So shout out to Rick George. we got to shout him out any chance we get for that. So, but they had a huge emotional win over Wisconsin and we had to feel like they were going to get ranked after that. And you know what? UCLA's look good. They got a, they got a really, really talented five-star QB freshman who's cooking uh, Dante Moore. He's doing really well. This is an incredible conference. I think we knew coming into this year that it was going to be super competitive and it had really, really top-notch quarterbacks from top to bottom. A lot of the talking heads were kind of not giving Shadur the love that he deserved as being one of those. And now I think everyone sees that he is. But it is just top to bottom, right? Look at all these Caleb Williams, Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, Shadur Sanders, even guys that are being forgotten about. You know, the people talk about the character issues of Jaden Delora, but Jaden Delora is a pretty good quarterback. And as well, it's Oregon State. Just. Yeah, it, they're they're just yeah, Uyagalele, right? Um, uh, awesome. Like all these guys are are super good, and it's it's great to be in this conference, and it just adds more flavor to the story. Six out of our nine game conference this year currently are against ranked teams. That is terrifying, but also, like I said, it just adds more to the story. So, looking forward to seeing what happens. Yeah, like watching the Pac-12 this year is going to be so much more fun than all the other years. Um, you know, we've got some real, like you're talking about, real depth at quarterback. And I just can't, I can't wait for all those, the the, the, pack, the Pac-12 after dark, you know, like the Pac-12 after midnight. Um, and speaking of midnight, um, our former head coach, Mel, <laughs> Midnight Mel Tucker, to, um, adding a new way to interpret the phrase Midnight Mel, um, has been oh, a sexually harassing survivor. <laughs> Um, just <laughs> terrible, terrible. I just hate Michigan State so much. You know, they already have all the stuff of Larry Nassar and the gymnastics program, and now this stuff comes out. Um, I'm just so glad he left, and I think it's just I, so. I was just so refreshing to have a coach with with high morals like Coach Prime does, and one that holds people to these standards. Unlike Mel Tucker, who shows his character again and again, and hopefully never gets another job in college football because yeah, we're reading through this usa you reading through this usa today report that came out i believe it was this morning um it's just it's just disgusting horrifying um, if 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 they're if they're true um it's, it's horrifying just completely disgusting from from mel tucker 100 the worst part is he hasn't really even denied anything like the things he's denied is like oh well it, it wasn't while i was on a work trip it was from my home you know like Otherwise, he's just arguing that it was consensual um, with this, you know, woman that he brought in literally to talk about, you know, surviving a sexual assault. It's just it, it's disgusting. And and frankly, even worse, you know, we got the worst of Michigan State Twitter after they they hired Mel away from us. But seeing some of the message boards where they're like outright defending uh, Mel Tucker right now is is like disgusting. And it and frankly, Michigan State you know, it has a lot to do, you know, has a lot of stuff to do to re- rebuild their reputation uh, because, you know, at, at some point it, it's just completely off the rails and, you know, fool me once versus fool me twice. It's, it's, it's disgusting. And, you know, shout out to Michigan state for being pretty quick to do it as soon as the news broke, but it's important to remember that they've been investigating this for over six months now. Months. So it's not like yeah. the university just found out about this. It's just that it just now became public. And then all of a sudden less than 24 hours 
they're announcing that he's indefinitely suspended um, while it's also being reported that he's been been terminated. So it's unclear exactly if they even terminated him or whether they've just indefinitely s- suspended him without pay. But, you know, it's it's pretty disturbing that, you know, they, they were doing this internal investigation, but allowing him to coach young men on the football field literally as recently as yesterday. So, um, you know, it, it, it's just disturbing and it has no place in college athletics. And, uh, you know, we, we made a good point on, on Twitter, right? You know, we clearly we dodged a bullet. Um, there were some rumors about that kind of stuff happening while we were, while he was at Colorado. Um, it seemed less substantiated at the time, but knowing what we know now, um, it seems like it was probably for the best for a lot of reasons, not, not only for getting a coach prime, but um, you know, for, for the character of, of, of our head coach that, that yeah, he was with CU's history too, right? CU has a, a bit of a dodgy history in this area as well. And I think it's, it's abundantly clear that the whole sport, maybe this whole country has a lot of work to do to, to clean this up, but this is just yet another horrifying allegation at that particular institution. They have, they gotta, they gotta clean it up. That is just completely unacceptable. And if they did have knowledge of this that far in advance and refused to act until things actually came to light, then this does nothing but look worse. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're in a state now as a program, you know, uh, where I can feel a lot more confident that that's not happening here. And if it is, it needs to get eliminated across the board. That's unacceptable. And uh, so, so we'll move on uh, to, to a lighter subject, um, but just thought, it, you know, it was worth bringing up, but um, we'll, we'll move on to our preview of this week's game. Um, obviously we have our little brother um, commuter school out of Fort Collins called Colorado state coming into Boulder for the first time in, I don't even remember how long, um, certainly well before we were students, maybe not Strayus because Strayus was in school in like no, 1940. I, I mentioned it earlier, Chase, 2009 when we lost to them, they stormed our field. That's right. That's right. Um, and that's back when Strayus was like a junior in, in undergrad. So um, <laughs> anyway, uh, pretty exciting times. We've got game day and big noon kickoff. I guess maybe they just didn't feel like moving their stuff back um, or moving it. The, the big noon kickoff was supposed to be at Penn State. Um, for those of you who, who may follow along, I – went to Penn state for graduate school. So I was really expecting, you know, both of my schools to have, you know, big new versus uh, game day. So it's interesting that they just decided to leave it. I'm hoping they give game day um, on fair and field, uh, you know, big new got to have it last week. They can go, I don't know, you know, maybe over to Fisk where I think game day used to, to go mm-hmm. or onto the, the uh, Leeds business field. Frankly, I don't care where they go. I want game day to be on Folsom and I want kids to show out. Um, you know, we did a great job packing Fox, but at the end of the day, at least in my opinion, um, you know, ESPN College Game Day is, is the the hallmark. Um, so hopefully we, we fill that out. Um, but just really quickly, um, Topher's going to talk about the X's and O's, but I just wanted to mention Colorado opened as a 21-point favorite. Um, the line has since moved to 23 and a half, 24 points, um, with an over-under of 59. Um, pretty pretty crazy uh, movement. You know, 24-point favorite, I, that, that, that's finally some respect from Vegas. I think Vegas is finally tired of taking it to the teeth, um, downing the buffs. Um, big spread, but you know, Topher, what are you seeing? How do you, how do you think we match up? Obviously not a lot of film because they've only played Washington state, but they got, um, hammered by what appears to be actually a decent Washington state team. That is very true, right? They only one, only one game of film. So it's hard to see any tendencies. Um, but from that one game, what is very abundantly apparent is their, their defense is in undisciplined 
they would leave wide receivers wide open. They blow coverages. Um, they don't talk when they transition those routes. And um, Washington State made them pay for it. Um, I was impressed with their D-line's ability to get a push when they were in obvious running situations. They made a couple of goal line stands and short running stands. Um, so that, that D-line's no joke, right? They, they'll make a couple plays. Um, but their secondary is terrible. Um, I, it, there's no other way to put it. They are just... They have a lot of work to do um, in the secondary and it's a, a lack of talent, but it's also poor coaching, right? You don't allow um, a cover two to not carry the wheel route when there's no one coming to the flat and just leave him wide open. Um, so I, I would still, I'm pretty confident in a 24 point spread. Um, I'm, I w- I'm surprised it didn't open up at 30 plus if I'm being honest. Um, offensively CSU's quarterback is not great either right like he has pretty good arm talent arm strength um but he does not make very quick reads and sometimes he decides to throw it even uh, before the the uh, coverage even breaks out he, he threw a pretty bad pick um directly to the washington state linebacker uh it, again just not impressed um their o-line was not great at passing off stunts. Um, there was a long fourth down where Washington state drew up a linebacker blitz and then dropped one of the DNs into coverage. So um, O-line was completely confused by this look, had no idea how to pass it off. And quarterback had three Washington state Cougars in his face before he even got caught the ball. Um, so I think simple scheme stuff like this uh, are areas that we can continue to take advantage of. Um, what I am worried about is one of their touchdowns came from a kickoff return. Um, number zero, I don't know his name, but he's, he's pretty quick. He can make a pretty good cut. Um, so we got to get the ball into the end zone. If it's windy on Saturday night, we need to make adjustments to make sure zero is not catching the ball. Um, but, uh, my, I'm going to go into my score prediction here. I I expect uh, us to cover easily and win 52 to 10. Yeah. Um, just, just really quickly. Um, yeah, it's important to remember that Colorado State scored. So the score is way closer against Washington State than it actually was. It was 50-24 final score. You might that was in Fort Collins. Like they got boat raced in their home stadium by Wazoo. Um, and three of their touchdowns came in the fourth quarter in absolute garbage time. Like Topher mentioned, one of them was on a 98-yard kickoff return. One of them was on a 75-yard um, touchdown pass against Washington State's, you know, second team defense. Um, so it's not exactly as close as the, as even the score would give you the idea of. Um, just a quick shout out as far as score predictions go. Sreyas did guess within, I think, three points the Colorado-Nebraska game. So so we'll, we'll give him some respect on that. Um, but very quickly, my, my score prediction, um, I think it's going to be uh, Colorado State 10. Um, I think that's going to be in garbage time. Um, and I think Colorado hangs 50 points this week. So I do think we cover um, and we basically cover the over on our own. So I, I like the over, not as much as I, I um, you know, like an over under generally, but I think we easily cover that spread, um, even if it grows. Sam? Yeah. Um, I mean, you guys already covered everything. I would say my score, I would say see you. I went see you way too high. I wanted to get to 69. I wanted, I wanted a nice little score there. Um, I still think the red zone needs some work for CU to convert those touchdowns. So I'm going to go see you 49. And I think CSU will get like a garbage time touchdown and make it like 17. So I'll say 49-17 CU. I can go next. Quick prediction, 42 to 10. It's going to be a blowout. Yeah, I got, I got 56 to 10. So it's, uh, I think, I think we'll, we'll be playing backups 
pretty early in the second half, kind of like what you saw with uh, USC at Stanford um, last weekend, I think. That's a good There's point. no reason for our offense to not move the ball really, really well through the air against that team. I want to give a fun prediction for this game. Charlie Often Ball is going to end up in the end zone for the CSU game. I'm calling it now. Ooh, I like that. That's a good one. That's yeah. a great take. Yeah. Yeah, that's a my, great my, my fun prediction is that a CSU player will celebrate extravagantly like a very minor play. <laughs> like they'll get a first down in the fourth quarter and they'll just like, they'll do something. They're like make the a, CSU making a square on the bingo card. Yeah, you yeah. mean like Fatone? You mean like Fatone yeah. Bauta? Yeah. yeah, the Bauta first down thing. <laughs> I, I guarantee that's, that's my bet. I'm putting it at uh, 0.5 and I'm hitting the over. And um, my crazy prediction is that it, there will be over 50 MIPs given to Colorado State students in the Folsom Field parking lot. Um, and unfortunately, because they have no future prospects, they will be indebted for life due to their inability to pay for their court costs. Pain. Oof. Oof. Uh, my hot take, Shore is not even going to play in the second half. That is a hot take considering he literally was still in the game with the like five quarter. minutes left just yeah. to run up the score on him last game. So I, I think that's bad for his Heisman campaign. So I kind of hope he stays in, but um, we obviously want to keep him healthy as well. Another take that's not hot, but I think if we don't beat them by more than 28 points, Coach Prime is going to be really ticked off in that locker room at the end of the game. Oh yeah. No question. Yeah. If we don't cover the current spread, there, there's going to be, it, it might even be one of those like coaching moments. Like, see, this is what can happen if you guys don't focus. I, I I don't expect this team to be unfocused, though. Not with this coaching staff. They do a really good job, and they're going to take it seriously. They understand. They they understand context. Yeah, they don't know the fight song yet, but they understand context, and they certainly understood the full context uh, about Nebraska. And I think that they will very easily understand the context with Colorado State. So as far as my fun prediction, I think we're going to have two receivers over 200. Ooh, so wow. that may not even be a hot take. That Dang. Might be 200 is a lot of yards. 200 is a lot of receiving so yards, which it, means you're lot, expecting Shador at, at least 550 yards. So look at what happened against TCU where we had multiple drops on long bombs and that would have gotten Travis Hunter there. And then I think Xavier Weaver had a couple plays where – or there was one particular remember where he accidentally went out went out of bounds on his own and caught like probably a 15 to 20 yard pass that would have gotten him around 150. So this is a really really talented passing attack and I think they they should tear apart that CSU uh, secondary. All right, and with that, let me close us out. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you guys can do us a huge favor and give us a rating on Spotify and iTunes and give us a follow. Also, give us a follow on all our social media channels. We have an Instagram, a Twitter, a YouTube. Uh, if you can follow us, we really appreciate it. It helps us out greatly. But with that, thanks for listening. Let's go Buffs. Let's go Buffs, Go Buffs. I can't believe you guys let me off easy with the Nebraska prediction. You guys didn't even bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,